0: Good morning. It's good to see you. I say that a little bit euphemistically. I made a a bad judgment call. I could have bought progressive lenses, but they were a few dollars more, and I thought, oh, I don't need them. So I have to choose. I can either see you or I can see my scripture reading. You lost out. So I'm just happy to see the little blobs of what appear to be people. I, I, um, I got a dilemma. I, I, I love my, my friend. I, I, he's a marvelous person. I don't like his wife. And it's beginning to be an issue. She's got sort of a wild past, and and that's I know that's not that big a deal. A lot of us have pasts that are bothersome. What's what's difficult is that although she has that kind of a past, she's incredibly judgmental, it feels like, to people that are now like what she used to be, and it feels like doesn't have the grace for them. I think the, the hard part, one of the hard parts is that she's had problems with faithfulness. She she cheats. What's galling is my friend can't see it. Apparently. Like he he just doesn't notice. Like he he always talks so nice about her. And we're all going, well, are we talking about the same person? How can you still be so in love with her when it's so clear that she is filled with these flaws? I don't know if you've ever been in a a, a marriage or in a very intimate relationship where someone didn't like the person that you loved. true story. My grandmother did not like my wife. My grandmother did not feel the need to ever try to make somebody else feel good. You know, most of us have sort of social, I don't know, would you, you, know, some politeness in us, and we wouldn't. Not my grandmother. Her gift was just to call it like it was. It wasn't unclear that she did not like my wife. Now, the, you're, you're probably on to me by now, but in case you're not, I, I did email both my best friends and say to them, listen, you, you may hear word. If you get the snippet of something or somebody storms out angry at the beginning of my message this week, I want you to know I love both Trudy and Janet. I'm not talking about them. What I'm referencing is over the last, man, it's been a long time, with rare exception, I've heard these words, I love Jesus, but I hate church. I love Jesus, but I hate church. It's, it's not the most common metaphor for how Jesus describes us, or the scriptures would describe us, but one of the minor sort of metaphors is that we are his bride. And I've had to, I've had to sort of wonder what's that like to the person that I say I love to also say I don't like the people that you do love and it's all those things seem so true to me the way I described I'm wondering, have you heard or have you felt something similar to that? That feeling that you know you love Jesus, but this thing called the church is difficult. Now, let me make a a little caveat here. I've heard lots of people say, I love my church. As a matter of fact, I know you are here because you love the sanctuary. That's part of why you're here. That's not, I'm not talking about a sort of a micro-expression, but I'm talking about that wider expression. Much of my life has somehow, I, I've, I've been connected to people who have experienced pretty deep woundings from church. That's just been who I've somehow been drawn to, or them drawn to me, and that's, I, I've always liked that. I, I have to admit that for most of my life, that wasn't true for me. And on, I will have to say, to be fair, that on balance, I've had very little heartache. But in the last couple of years it's been a little painful. And I'm not going I won't go into everything. You a lot of you know some of my story, but it, it, that doesn't matter, but what's interesting is I thought it would I thought I could process it faster. I thought I would sort of get over it quicker. And I always wonder when I'm struggling with something if there's other people that are sort of struggling with something similar and so I, this may not be for everybody but here would be my question for you as I share with you some of what I've been trying to practice. Have you been hurt by the church? Do you carry a wound that still at times feels like an open wound? I'm not going to be able to solve all of it. But I'll share a few things that maybe have been helpful to me. Deep breath. Before we get to the passage we're going to mostly look at today, let me give a little background to who comprises this thing we call the church. People who have said I love and follow Jesus. What kind of people are they? What kind of people? Is there a group of people that are more likely to be drawn to Him than another type of person? I think there is. Generally speaking, there are exceptions of course, but generally speaking there's a description of people who are drawn on average to Jesus. Here's their description. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you are influential. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The description on average of people who who trust that Jesus is the one who will save them are in a simple way people who look like they need to be saved. And that's us. Why do I mention that? It's because I think while Jesus is transforming us, that on average, we're starting sort of below the grade. In other words, in this last journey, I've had to adjust some of my expectations. Which brings me to the passage we've looked at before, at least we've referenced it. But I want to walk through very kind of briefly as I'm processing this idea of having a church wound. It's found in Matthew 7. And I've just got a couple little quick points. Matthew 7, I'll read it for you. Do not judge First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. do not judge. It's a tricky word. We've, we've chatted about this before. It's a tricky word because it's, it, is, um, it feels like God's asking me to not notice something. I've heard it in that sense. That it, I, 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 and I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think Jesus is saying don't notice or don't speak truth. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. If, if I could summarize, maybe it would be like this. Don't wish harm, or in a way that we might use in our own vernacular, don't hope that somebody will get what they deserve. That, that's kind of what we mean by being judgmental. It isn't that I don't notice or that I can't speak to, to an issue. It's when inside I want something for somebody that I wouldn't want for myself. He goes on, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? So first, as I'm processing, I'm trying to practice, Lord, help me not want harm. Secondly, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, or sister's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? I don't know if you've noticed how easy it is to observe somebody else's inconsistency. Like there's, there's nothing more easy than that. And in fact, I think I mentioned this before, but my hunch is that if you wanted there is no one you could not catch in hypocrisy. Why? Because we're people who have said we love and follow Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We've made that proclamation. When we, we get baptized we're not saying we're going to be like Jesus, but we're saying this is what I want. This, I, I follow him. Publicly I follow him and I can guarantee you within moments of your declaration you'll be just slightly less than Jesus and there's something that feels so satisfying when you're angry at somebody and you happen to notice that I noticed in myself like as I'm processing the, you know, my own journey all those little moments where it's God forgive me but it feels like I gotcha I, I remember I was in this conversation it was, one of, it was kind of a hard conversation, and, and it was sort of this, this, my friend just laid down this trump card of, well, I, I love people, the implication being, I don't love people. And that, he just, I love people, and kind of walked out. <laughs> and so, it was only a couple weeks later, I, I mean, I was, it was a little larger group, and it the conversation turned to politics which, as we know, brings out the best in us, right? There's never a time when we're more generous and more benevolent, more other-centered than when we're talking about politics. And my friend was starting to get really prophetic. Let's just be gracious. And then he said, if I could, I'd put a bullet in their head, and I thought, in my heart, I love people, (laughs) I'm just a lover of people, now it feels, I got to tell you, that felt good, like it just felt so good, It's a weird, it's a weird way in which Jesus says, talks about this. But you would think it's almost sometimes as if we were reading it as, hey Carl, have you noticed how often other people are noticing sawdust in people's eyes? And have you noticed that when they're noticing the sawdust in somebody's eyes, have you noticed, Carl, that they have a plank in their eye? Because it's almost how the most often we talk about this passage is how somebody else is noticing a plank when it's clear to us they have the plank. You know, whatever the metaphor is. Here's my, my 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 little discipline. I'm trying. Oh God, I don't want to ever wish harm for somebody. I don't want to wish something like that anymore. And God, I don't ever want to try to notice somebody else's hypocrisy. I only want to apply that to the one person you mentioned in the text. I'm going to be very literal here. Why do you, Carl, do this? Nobody else Don't worry about anybody else's hypocrisy. Never. This this will let you, this will be, never worry that somebody else is being a hypocrite. You're off the hook on their hypocrisy. The only hypocrisy that should be important to you is your own. And because we are a gathering of people who are less than average to begin with, And Jesus is doing a marvelous work, but it seems to me that he sort of planned that we were going to bump into each other and we were going to irritate each other because he says so much about how to not be stuck in that moment. Over in um, Colossians, he describes Therefore, as God's chosen people, remember the ones he chose were the ones who were less than average, not wise, not not all that sharp, not noble. God's chosen and holy, dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion. When would you need compassion? And kindness and humility. Everybody loves to talk about humility when it's a concept. When you get to be humble, not so fun. Gentleness and patience and bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There was a friend of mine she was part of a, of a sort of a growing and young, dynamic church. had a young pastor, really new. He was new at it. And my friend, she decided to leave her husband. The young pastor, who was also, you know, was friends with her, I think he kind of panicked, didn't know what to do. He loved, he loved them both, and yet she was initiating this divorce, and he could not see, he couldn't see why she would do that. And so he, he enacted a, a form of sort of church discipline. He floated the idea that perhaps she should be excommunicated or disfellowshipped, they would call it. It was harsh. In my hunch, I don't know this, but my guess if she were here today and we were talking about church wounds, my guess is she might reference that time in her life. I was that guy. I was that pastor. I did that. You see, what I didn't know was that my friend did not want to throw her husband under the bus, quite honestly. Had I had more information, I would have responded differently, but she didn't feel like she should share that, and that was her prerogative. Maybe I should have trusted that. But the story was more detailed than what I knew, and I acted only on the part of the story that I did know. And I honestly didn't investigate very much. come to find out, I I don't know how all this works, I'm not a legalist, I don't think, but she had what we would call cause, I suppose, for the divorce. I, I say that because the reason we have to be diligent about not accusing folks of hypocrisy is because we don't always know the whole story. And it's just, it's just not that helpful. In that early, one of my earliest memories of being just devastated as a pastor. The the church was growing, and there was you know all, you know it was one of those things where it was sort of dynamic and lots of new people. And I felt, you know, I felt like I had I wanted to meet everybody. I wanted to try to say hello to everybody. There was this pressure to make sure everybody that I did not know felt. You know touched and, and welcomed and and it was uh, there was it was pews and so there was two people just like right here, and I knew them very well they were my f- Friends, I thought. I knew their story. They knew my story. We had done things together. I knew them. And next to them were some brand new people I had never seen before. And I I reached across my friends because I knew they knew. I loved them. And I said hello to those friends, to those new people. And I introduced myself and I engaged with them for a few moments. And then I, I quickly left and had to go, you know, went to do that somewhere else. The people who I reached across never came back. And I noticed that they were gone, you know, after a couple weeks, and I contacted them. And they were so deeply hurt that I wouldn't care enough to say hello to them. And I only cared about trying to meet new people. Man, that crushed me. Have you ever felt snubbed? Have you ever felt like you, you, you wanted to be connected to somebody? You loved them and you felt like they snubbed you? You've heard me say this before. You see, when people are in pain, the facts don't matter. The f- fact that as I tried to explain to them exactly what happened, my fact did not change their pain it just hurt them so deeply so do not judge i can't judge that i i've been hurt so i guess i can know what that's like It sounds so strange to say, but I'm trying to practice, oh God, I don't want the people who I feel have hurt me, I don't want them to be hurt. Oh God, I want to quit noticing the inconsistencies in people around me. And finally, I want to be really careful with labels. Now, here's a weird verse, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of twisting just a little bit, but it's one of those verses that in the Bible seems to be, it somehow is, it, it, it doesn't make sense, that it, it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't follow, like here's Jesus, and, and you're tracking with me, and he, he seems to be talking about this demonstrative way to love people, and then comes this verse. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Have you ever heard, don't cast your pearls to swine, or don't throw your per-. Have you ever heard that expression? Here's your hand. Here, yeah. It's actually, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's from the Bible that people will quote and don't know that it's necessarily even from the Bible. It's just an expression. Don't cast your pearls to swine. Have you ever been the one who was getting a pearl cast at you? And therefore, you would be the what in the story? In the story? You'd be the the pig. And have you ever thought, oh my gosh, I'm a pig. That feels awesome. Like I've never heard this quoted where somebody wasn't supposed to feel bad. I've quoted it. I quoted it thinking I was doing people who who didn't want to listen to me. Well, I'm not going to cast my pearls to swine. Feels pretty good. You're swine. I'm pearly. (laughs) This is one of those cultural context things we've really missed, I think. I think Jesus is actually being very agricultural here. (laughs) He is simply trying to say, listen, only be helpful. If you throw a pearl to a pig, the pig has absolutely no use for pearls. There's nothing a pig can do with a pearl except tromp on it. It's not helpful to the pig. Throw corn to a pig. That's helpful. Pearls are not helpful to a pig. Even though to you, it has great value. But in the context of how we're going to live together, I'm not going to wish harm for you. I'm not going to sit around and kind of micro-inspect you. And I'm only going to be as best I can. I'm going to try to be helpful to you, not harmful to you. I changed my. I had a little little example of that, but last night it worked even better. Last night I I bought some new shorts um, at, at Costco, and um, because April keeps shrinking my other ones and. <laughs> but I forgive her because I'm pearly and um, and so I'm I'm up there and I I threw them on. You know you probably know where this is going, right? So. I, got the, I cut the tag off here, but there was that long tag that tells the world how fat you are that goes up this, you know, right here. And so at the break, one of the ladies last night in the Evergreen goes, Hey, Carl, come here. And she just whispered, Hey, you got, I don't, this is so funny. They're so scared that I've, like, I've, I've, this is part of a sermon illustration or something. She goes, I don't know if this is part of your sermon, but your tag is showing. It was so helpful. Weird illustration. Here's not what's helpful. Like as I'm up there. Hey, moron! Your tag is showing. There, there, you can sort you can of do the same thing. You can give the same input in a way that is either helpful or humiliating. And sometimes with our pearls, we are in fact trying to humiliate, not be helpful, especially when we're hurt or angry. You know how it goes. April and I, you know, we've been married 37 years. We've got our own little language going. i got a tooth that's a little bit wider than the other teeth, so it collects things. So if we're out... If we're in, you know, in a group, April doesn't go, hey, moron, the gap. She just, she kind of will go like, you know, she'll just go like this. I don't know exactly what she means when she goes like that. We have our own, like if she does this, that means I'm being too loud. True story. Like if we're in a dinner party, sometimes I get loud or she'll see I'm getting all, all worked up. She'll just go, I don't know, got to dial it back just a little bit. That's helpful. It's helpful. It's not humiliating. Where does all of this come from? Like, how? Here's the umbrella as you're dealing with your own pain. This is only one little slice of how to, this isn't the whole story of how we walk through our pain. And please hear me. If, you're a, a, if you've been wounded and hurt and abused and neglected, I'm not trying to talk you out of that. I'm not trying to say don't feel that way. I'm kind of saying what some of your instincts to process that may not be helpful. At least I'm saying that to me. Where does all this come? What's our summary for this? It's 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 found here. We're very familiar with the great command, right? The great command is what? Love Love God and yeah, love God and love others. It always begs the question to me. How do you know if you're being loving? Not foolproof, but Jesus gives us a really clear way to discern that. I think it is the, the little, I don't know what you'd call it. it, it, it yeah, it's the summary I guess. Well, he calls it that. This is what he says. For this This sums up the law and the prophets. In everything. Dang, that's a big word. In everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you. There's never been a time in your life where you've wished that harm could come to you. There's really never a time in your life where you wish somebody could microscopically dissect your every move and point out your frequent inconsistencies. There's never been a time in your life where you've wanted to be labeled What happens when we label, when we throw pearls to pigs, when we, when we create a narrative that is only one-sided, it can make us feel good, but it doesn't include the whole story. At the beginning, I said I'd been with lots and lots of people who suffered deep wounds. They would share with me that the pastor was power-hungry, that's a label, or narcissistic. I'm not saying that there are certainly lots of power pastors, I suppose, who struggle with being power-hungry, and I'm sure there's lots of us who are narcissistic, but as I listened to those stories, I thought, how often have I been in a disagreement with somebody, and I had to make a decision that was different than the decision they wanted, but it was my responsibility to make the decision. And they didn't want me to make that decision, but I made that decision, and then they labeled me as a person who loved power. Or how easy it was for me to know that there are times when I've done things that I'm sure could be seen as narcissistic, but that's not the whole story of who I am. There's other words. There's other words. Legalist. If you've reduced your conflict, your pain, to a single word, that's a label. And that's not going to be helpful. This sums up the law and the prophets to wonder, what would I want if I were on the other side of this conversation. That's one of the ways I've been walking through some of my pain. and I hope that can be helpful to you. Father, I, I know this, this bride of Jesus is adored by you. I know you see us in a way that is better than we are. but we're grateful for that. Lord, as we walk in the real world and we bump against each other and we get hurt, above all else, help us clothe ourselves with humility and love. Thank you for my friends here who have gathered because they're desperate to be together and to know you and to hear from you and to experience you. And now as we practice, reenact, and rehearse once again that you love us, that there's no condemnation, that the body was broken for us and the blood was shed for us. Help us start over today and just be happy with that. Amen. So we're going to invite you, if you'd like, to be part of this, this story of Of the broken body and the shed blood. On Jesus last night, he broke the bread and and he said those words, this is my body which is broken for you. And in the same way, it says he took the cup and he said this is the new blood of the, this is the blood of the new covenant Covenant is a way to say deal. This is like a new deal. This is a new way that you can respond to God. It's not based on you, but it's all on him. It's what we call grace. The brown cup will be the wine, and the light cup will be the juice. And on my right, there is a juice and a gluten-free option for those of you who need that for the bread. So we... Invite you to come and taste that the Lord is good.